This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello, you. You find me in my kitchen this morning, already a little bit late, um, but eating a bowl of Curiously Cinnamon while trying to lint roll cat hair off my dress and find a matching pair of shoes. I'm not feeling terribly organised today. I'll tell you who is organised, though. Munya Chihuahua, who I am meeting today. I think that Munya has been one of the most inescapable faces of the pandemic, if you do social media. Munia's weekly satirical takes on the biggest news stories have become something that everyone seems to talk about. You might remember staying in with Craig Covid and his Matt Hancock video, It Was Me, to the tune of Shaggy. Munia has gone in a very short time from unknown to absolutely everywhere and I'm looking forward to hearing about his childhood in Zimbabwe and what he was doing before he became so recognisable and what on earth do you eat when you're knee deep in creating viral content every single day. I'm also looking forward to slurping the cinnamon milk at the end of the bowl. Hang on. Mm. No one's looking are there? Money a Chihuahua, welcome to Comfort Eating. I feel like you're about to invite me to meditate. <laughs> Money Chihuahua, down with dog and breathe. <laughs> I am really chuffed to see you in person because mm-hmm. I feel like you have become a regular thing. Um, this sounds quite sinister, mm. but I look at on my phone. <laughs> you always make me laugh. I remember, well, I saw you do lots of funny sketches and spoof videos the thing that i think that i got in touch with you about was the craig david Mm. um explain what that is 
Well, I mean, look, you say that, but I actually remember an incident before. Not sorry, not an incident. It's not as if you turned up outside my house. I remember <laughs> yeah. a social encounter online before, in which my first ever really viral sketch, which was a parody of uh, Jamie Oliver's Jerk Rice. Oh God, yes. Which I know is your favourite, so I'm not going to say too much on that. But <laughs> anyway, I did a parody of that as a character called Johnny Oliver who basically amplified everything that was wrong with that concept. Mm. You retweeted the video and my friend messaged me saying, oh my God, Grace Den. And I was like, <laughs> what, what, hang on, wait, what am I missing here? So I just had the name in my head, Grace Den. I didn't know anything about you. I was thinking, God, you know, like, is she, is she one of the Queen's ladies? Is she like da, da, da? I mean, so in a way, years, yes. For years, I've, this, is, this is the enigma now being solved in front of me. In front of you, slurping white wine <laughs> and staring at you. But the, the reason why I did that was because you could see right away you have a real talent for looking at what's going on in, in the media and just spinning it and spoofing it. I'm going to get to that part of your career when you started making those things mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. But as you know... Each week, my guests yeah. feed me one of their ultimate comfort food snacks, something they eat in private mm. that they may not have disclosed to others before. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what this is, mm-hmm. so you can hear the giddiness in my voice already because this is a big... This <laughs> Trembling. <is> big, this. <laughs> Manuel, what have you brought for me today? Okay, now, in my world, okay, you can really judge a person by their Nando's order. Right, this is a thing. If you say the wrong thing, and your career's finished, right? So, to the world, they think of me as this man who who strolls in there and has like an extra hot chicken, right? Piri fries, coleslaw, whatever. But that's not me. Yeah, that's just all a facade. I can't even eat medium, Grace. And I've been keeping this from the world. So let me tell you something. One day I was ordering Nando's to my house and I thought, look, no one's, no one's going to judge me. This is a safe, <laughs> proteinous place, right? So I ordered mash and then I just thought to myself, do you know what? Mash by itself is too dry, so I need a sauce. Ketchup, it's the obvious choice. Mm. So let me pick piri mayonnaise, which they call pyrenees. And I'm thinking, do you know what? I think this needs something sweet. So it's mash, pyrenees and grilled pineapple. When that arrived at my doorstep, no, 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 hear me out. When that arrived at my doorstep and I tucked into that, I felt like the real Munya for the first time (laughs) in years. (laughs) So that's what I bought you. So hang on, is there no chicken in this? There's no chicken in this. Talk me through the emotions you're going through and I'll place it over you. (laughs) How have you just taken over my podcast? Sorry, sorry. So what we do is we get our mash. Yeah, I've got some, I've got some mash. You want to envelope it in Pyrenees. Okay, I've And then you're going to get a big chunk of pineapple. And then, as they say in Spanish, bon appetit. Well, it's, um, it's potato with mayonnaise with a chunk of pineapple. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> no, it's it's a, if you close your eyes... Mm, the weird thing is, the first mouthful was actually atrocious. The second one, I was getting used to it. Mm-hmm. And now... I could finish this plate. That's what I'm talking about. What do people say when you order this? Do people just... They can't say anything because they don't know. They don't know it's me. They just think whoever's ordering this is a sad little man tucked away in some dark crevice of London, but actually 
It's global superstar Manu Chihuahua <laughs> binging himself on Pyrenees and pineapple. <laughs> So you were born in Derby in yeah. 1992. When you were just four, your parents moved you and your two little sisters to Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. where your dad had grown up. Mm-hmm. Now that feels like it's a massive change, even for a four-year-old. Yeah. Um, so what was your new home like? Oh, man, I mean, it was just, you know, it was heavenly. It was a utopia because as a child, you've got the spirit of adventure, mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in England, you can't really do that. I remember two things about England, really. I remember coming home from school and sort of just pushing Hot Wheels cars along a carpet that was made to look like a racetrack. Mm. And then the second thing I remember is being desperately in love with Baby Spice from the Spice Girls. Um, But when you would go to Zimbabwe, all of a sudden you finish school and it's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to climb this tree? You know, do you want to build a go-kart? You want to play sports until the sun goes down. Mm. And so it was just like the best place to vent your spirit of adventure. You know, that's the truth. I mean, I remember trying to bungee jump one time. (laughs) Nearly killed myself, basically, because there's a tree. And I thought that bungee jumping could be performed with any rope, basically. So I tied it around my waist, which obviously bungee jumping you don't do. Thank God I didn't tie it around my feet. Climbed up the tree. My sister was at the bottom of it. I said, right, I'm going to jump out on three and then I'm probably going to ping back up and climb up the branch. And just jumped out of the tree with this rope around my stomach. Landed just above the ground. So now I'm hanging by this rope under my ribs. And like screaming to my sister, like, don't tell mum, don't tell mum. So my sister basically had to lift me up whilst I untied this rope and then sort of climbed down. But we could do stuff like that, learn your mistakes and then carry on. So you all get to Zimbabwe. You must have had quite... British tastes in food when you got there. What did Mm. you eat when you got there? Did you carry on eating British food or...? I mean, it was sort of like a gradual weaning away, I'd say. Do you know what I mean? I think mum must have stashed some emergency turkey dinosaurs (laughs) just to sort of keep the spirit of Britain alive in our little Zimbabwe house, but... Because... So this is where your dad's from. He's from... Yeah, my dad's from Zimbabwe, yeah. So you're eating things that he... Mm-hmm. presumably missed when he was living in, did he miss these things? Did he? Yeah, was, I mean, was he desperate to get back to this delicious food that he wanted mm, to tell you about? He, I remember him sort of pinging back and forth, mm. um, Zimbabwe and Derby for work. So I think that this was probably the first time he could actually just relax into yeah. being back home. So this was a time that he could introduce his family to, you know, the things he grew up eating and the culture he was from. And you all sat and ate together? Yeah, we, we would always eat together. Meal times were always quite uh, exciting because, well, there's a number of factors, really. I mean, your, your electricity could go off at any time, which is quite intriguing. I remember yeah. once, you know, eating a candlelit dinner just because that was literally the only way to provide any light and um, watching a moth fly through this candle, set on fire and then land on my plate mm. like a sort of really underwhelming birthday candle. <laughs> Did you eat it? No, I did not, no. But if there'd been some Pyrenees involved, I maybe would have. <laughs> it feels like your dad's a bit of a character. Did he used to cook? Yeah, my dad is a character, you know. From, in Zimbabwe, they are very, from my recollection, they can be quite hard people in the sense of mm. they, can, they can say to you, look, come on, get a grip, move through it. Okay, been through a lot of hard stuff, so there's very much a kind of attitude of... Just get on up, with it. Plow on with it, right? Yeah. So my dad was often like that when... 
we fell ill. I could have the worst fever going or the worst virus in the land and he'd be like, he'd say to me, don't let your emotions get the better of you. As if having a 42 degree temperature was just me on an emotional mood swing. And, but anyway, when he figured that it was for real, he would make this, this potion, right? And it was different every time. But I just remember him walking in to my bedroom with this, this cup, with my favourite cup. So I thought, yes, wow, dad's come through with the hot chocolate. You know, I don't know, maybe even a peppermint tea. And I took one sip of it and I thought, if you could liquidise what hell tastes like, <laughs> that is how it tasted. And what he'd done is he'd put in your equivalent of Robinson squash, which we called Mazoe. Okay. Like orange, really intense orange squash. So non-diluted orange non -diluted. squash. Non-diluted. Not just a little bit, I'm talking half the glass. <laughs> uh, two OXO cubes, oh, no, the stop. beefy ones. Some chilli flakes. I'm not even going to lie to you, Grace. I think there was some soil in there. So anyway, we'd drink this. You'd have to finish this drink in front of him. But each Listen. one was just like a Russian, well, a Zimbabwean roulette, basically. So you're a little boy. You're in mm -hmm. Zimbabwe. When your friends come round to your house, mm -hmm. and I can imagine your mum's putting together food mm -hmm. for you, or maybe when you go to school with a packed lunch, what do they think of British food? Oh, the kids, I mean, they are just, their minds are blown. <laughs> I used to run like a sort of uh, sweet cartel every time I came from England. <laughs> We'd go to England, stay with our grandparents, and our grandparents would just bombard us with sweets. Yeah, that's the job. My, sister, my sisters would eat them all, but I would actually hoard them and take them back to Zimbabwe. And I'd run this like, you know well, this black market of, of British sweets outside of my bedroom and I'd take them to school and, you know, we'd do this trade for that and the other. So, you know, I was the man that is ruthless, time. actually. Yeah, that is ruthless. Is. Yeah, you don't want to get in, in between me and a wham bar. <laughs> Did you love school? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was a teacher's pet, but I was also extremely naughty and thus popular, but, but I always knew how to be naughty in the pockets when the teacher wasn't looking. I think that's exactly what you're like now. But why do you think so? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Because you can see you're just, like, incredibly naughty, but also you are getting things done. Mm. You know, I think a bit of, it's because I was restricted from mischief in my own upbringing. Dad was very strict, very Christian, and so being naughty wasn't really something I could do unless mm. I was doing it very sneakily, you know? My, I mean, my sister was a savage. She didn't care. She would do whatever. Like, I remember once going for to grab dessert, which was like a fruit salad, we just started eating this fruit salad and I'm thinking, this thing tastes of petrol. And I'm starting to feel a bit weird from it. So I'm thinking, oh, let me just drink the juice because that's always where like the sweetness is and stuff. And then I'm feeling even weirder. And basically after being interrogated, it turns out that my, my sister just poured uh, whiskey into all our fruit salads. <laughs> and there was me sort of intoxicated, trying to make my way through an episode of Noddy. <laughs> <laughs> She's just getting the party started. <laughs> yeah. Your mum's parents mm -hmm. were back in Derby mm. all this time. Mm -hmm. So did you keep a connection with them during this point when you're in Zimbabwe? Or? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a huge connection with them. We would, uh, you know, we had a camcorder. And my parents would like film everything sort of like, you know, BTS style. What did you do? I mean, I'd love to say it was that sophisticated, but it was mainly me making jokes about bottoms and stuff. But, you know, I mean, that is the foundation. Bottoms for are funny. Great. They are I'm really sorry. funny. You know, I'd play tricks with my parents and stuff like that. I was just a joker. I was telling jokes that I'd learned from a joke book and hopefully would make granddad laugh. Yeah. And just like being mischievous, you know? 
And from that moment there, do you think, this is what I want to do? I don't think I consciously knew, but all I knew is that it felt good. If you see that camcorder coming out, you know it's going to be a good weekend because my grandparents were obviously desperate to see us. And watching those videos back, that was what ignited my hunger for, you know, being on camera, really. Yes. Because I was just so amazed by this concept of, okay, you can do something during filming that we will then watch in the evening and everyone's going to laugh. Yes. And that, that kind of, like, instant sort of gratification of, if I do this, then people will feel good, is obviously the, the first seed of wanting to do comedy, really. Your family decided to move back to the UK not long after you'd started secondary school to a small village called Framingham Piggott in Norfolk, which is another major upheaval while you're still young. Tell me about village life. You know, whenever I was, was walking to school or something, you know, the presumption was always that I was up to no good or yeah. like, what are you doing? In Norwich, I realised something. If you buy one piece of clothing in Norwich, when I was there, you will walk out the shop and 10 other people walk past you within 30 seconds wearing the same thing. Yeah. And I hated it so much. I was like, I want to be me. Like, I was like, I don't want to look like everyone else. I want to just have some identity. And I end, God, I mean, that was probably for the worst because I ended up wearing the most horrendous... I looked like a sort of Brooklyn convict. I'd be wearing these low swinging jeans with like Biggie's face on my kneecaps or something. <laughs> and then like a Diamante cap. I, I, I don't like this feeling of fitting in, you know? And then you go to uni in Sheffield, 2011. You study mm -hmm. psychology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was the plan? You know, I went to university. I studied psychology because I was good at it at school. I liked it and I wanted to help people. And then I quickly realised... To, to have someone sat on a couch in front of you and to be listening to their problems takes years of, yeah. of, of extra, you know, extra degrees and this and that. And I was like, all right, next best thing is probably, you know, doing forensic psychology, like finding out why people are doing bad stuff. So I actually thought I was going to be a forensic psychologist for the FBI in America. Like, I, that was what I would tell people. But you could have done that. Yeah, I couldn't. Because yes, I'll tell you, no, 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 no. Because if I graze my knee, I throw up. Just the look of a grazed <laughs> knee. So dealing with whatever they see, no chance. No chance. <laughs> Did you throw yourself into being a student? Did you just... No, 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 no. I mean, to be honest with you, un university I found very confusing time because... Why? Because I went into university and everyone had a rough idea of what they were like. Whereas me, I've grown up in this village where there's no one around, right? So I'm trying to think to myself, you know... I think I know I like, I think I know I, who I am. And also you're shielded, you, you know, you're shielded. From, wait, if, you, if I grew up in London, I would meet all kinds of people by the time I was 18. But in Norwich, I've met a very specific type of person. So when I went to university and I'm seeing all these people from around, I'm thinking, wait, which one am I? Which one am I? And yeah. like, you know, I did, I mean, I had a mohawk for a start, which was always going to tarnish the experience. And I um, spoke super posh because I thought if I show any indication of an accent, people are going to laugh at me. So I would literally go on the phone to my mum and be like, hi, mum, yeah, I got the bus today. And then I'd walk out and be like, yes, my mother, I got the bus with my mother. Yeah. I thought I was, I was doing anything I could to blend in. 
I didn't know it was okay to kind of just be yourself at that time. Yeah. And the only thing that kept me at university really, and that helped me to kind of get the, the embers of being myself was doing my degree, quite tiring, didn't really enjoy it so much. And then I found out there was a student radio station. And I was like, what? I can have a radio show for free. And obviously it sort of activated those neurons that must have been present during the camcorder days. And I was like, hmm, this feels good. So uni is mm. often a time when people begin to experiment with cooking for the first time. Yeah. I remember a phase I went through at uni where um, I was buying really cheap cut price crumpets from mm. Iceland mm -hmm. and eating them with mango chutney. And I think I went through a long time of doing that. I did have malnutrition, probably. Moments ago, you made it sound like I needed to be sectioned for eating mashed potato with a pineapple. Yeah, but I'm an expert in food. Well, we shall see about that after uh, I've done my review. <laughs> what, when you were at uni, what was the weirdest thing you ever made, do you think? I mean, look, I could cook, but I was petrified about this idea of losing, of, of not having money of going broke. So I remember going to Morrison's for my first shop and walking out with a Cheshire grin because I'd bought uh, 13 sausages for 13p. <laughs> Best believe those sausages never went near an animal. <laughs> to this day, I don't know what was in them. Mostly bums. But yeah, bottoms, which, God, 10-year-old me would have been having a field day with that sort of content. Where were Morrison's sausages when I needed them back in the day? All those bum jokes. But no, I, one thing I did love was porridge. Simple, easy, filling. Yeah. And uh, on one particularly dark day, uh, I went to the cupboard, took out the porridge, poured the oats in, perfectly measured, mm. got the spoon, cleaned it, popped it in, and then opened the fridge, and there was no milk. And I thought to myself, do you know what, I'm going to power through. I'm going to channel my inner Zimbabwean. <laughs> this is what that Zimbabwean mantra's for, for times like this. And I went in the cupboard, and I got some Vimto, Oh, stop it. And I poured it in, the oats, and I microwaved it. <laughs> and the way it looked when it came out... Like a hemorrhage. I could have used my forensic psychology degree then and there. <laughs> Did you eat Cause it? of death. I had a spoonful. Grace, it was a struggle. <laughs> it was what, a struggle. And what did you learn that day? I learned that... Um, I learned that sometimes fruity things don't go well... <laughs> <laughs> with oats no I learnt that improvisation is not always a good thing <laughs> okay hang on just a sec my chat with Mania Chihuahua continues very soon hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from 
beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. You graduated in 2011. You started seriously pursuing an on-screen career. At about this time, you were trying to break through for a number of years. What were some of the things that you tried? So I tried um, fashion vlogging. Why fashion vlogging? I thought to myself, cool, everyone's doing it. If I do it, that's my route in. If I go up to a TV channel and say I want to be a presenter, you think they're going to let me in? No way. Mm. So it's like, cool, people are doing a lot of fashion stuff. Let me try it. Didn't work. Podcast, let me try it. Didn't work. Anything under the sun, I tried it. I was turning up to... um, Croydon every Sunday hosting this uh, event where the acoustic musicians would be playing to like a crowd no one could hear me hosting so no one's focusing on me as the host but I was there because I was like yeah this is it this is the big break yeah and I was prepared to do that you know not wasn't paid a penny and it was my whole Sunday and then back to work on Monday but I was like cool if this is what it takes I'm going to do it so you were living in London by this point I was living in London how were you paying the bills uh, I was teach. I was doing uh, motivational talks in schools, so I found this Australian company. Oh lord! It's the most Australian company you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> the boss was like, "You'd walk in and you'd go, right, legends. I appreciate a rock star performance, but I don't appreciate a rock star attitude." <laughs> anyway, we'd go into these schools around London and do these seminars. And uh, the idea of this company was they'd gone around the world researching what the top one percent of students do and wanted to sell that to schools as like an idea of, look, we can tell your students what the top 1% do, and we will send in these really fun comedic presenters to, to convey the information. So my job was to learn, like, maybe up to 16 pages of information, and then go in and tell jokes and be like, oh, by the way, if you do this, you've got an A star. So it was like doing stand-up in schools for, like, two years. Probably went to about 500 schools around wow. London, all kinds. Schools where... They're throwing chairs at me. Schools where they are having like Venice and Wellington for lunch. Everything. So what were you eating for comfort around this point where you're getting chairs thrown at you? You must have had quite a tight budget. Mm. I would eat 30 eggs a week. (laughs) 30? There's a corner shop near me where for some reason, apparently this guy was the go-to place for hens because he'd have... (laughs) Cartons of 30 eggs just on the counter. And I would just buy them relentlessly and just find different ways to cook eggs. How did, so you did you, so what, you boiled them? I did everything. Fried them. I didn't them. have a choice. I had to, you know, buy sort of seven eggs in. I was desperate for new ways to cook them. So scrambled, fried, boiled, poached, pineappled. <laughs> it was quite a while, though, before things started to pick up. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a point then when you just felt like giving up and getting a really sensible job? Yeah, I think probably sort of on the 29th egg. (laughs) You know, to be honest, I knew that I was going to do it. I knew it. Just to know when. So I knew that I was going to end up doing the thing that I really wanted to do. No ifs, no buts. 
And uh, the thing that actually, you know, really changed my life, I was at my girlfriend's house and I saw this bookshelf and there's a book and it's the premise is, think about what you want for as long as possible and it's going to happen, hooray. And I remember just being like, cool, well, I feel pretty crap right now, so I might as well. And whatever that drilled into me, this way of positive thinking, is the thing that then changed my life irrevocably because I then, certainly for the first couple of years, would only think, like, positive all the time. What was the thing that you were envisaging? Mainly it was to do with followers because I was meeting <sighs> agents and they were saying, yeah, sorry, buddy, love your show, real, but we, we can't talk to you unless you... I remember one lady said to me, you know, we can't talk to you. We, we, if you had 30K followers, I might have introduced you to somebody who could help you. That was it. She oh. said to me, if you had 30K followers, I, I might have organised a meeting for you. So I remember she'd be like, just, just the followers. I just need the followers and then I can get in the door and then I can be a presenter or whatnot. 2018. Mm-hmm. And things finally begin to click. You mm-hmm. start writing your own comedy sketches... You're uploading them to YouTube. And in August of that year, you release a video featuring your very first satirical alter ego, Johnny Oliver. Mm -hmm. That's Jamie Oliver's Caribbean cousin. Mm -hmm. And you cook in some absolutely ridiculous jerk rice. Yeah. And this immediately goes viral. Mm -hmm. How conscious were you right then that you've kind of found your niche? Well... I tried to make two Johnny Oliver videos afterwards and they still did good, but I was like, cool, I can't do this forever because I don't know enough stupid things to do with food. You know, by the time I'd finished doing keepy ups with the chicken nugget, I was like, right, where do we go from here? Jamie Oliver Mm -hmm. is a really important person Mm -hmm. and everybody wants to keep in his good books. And I'll (laughs) say that as somebody in the food industry, right? Mm -hmm. People don't like annoying Jamie Oliver. Mm -hmm. And you, you just went right in there. Did you get kickback? No, not at all. Not even one, even single comment. Like, kickback-wise, I can count it on my hand across the years. Yeah. Now, I remember I did a, a sketch about Tommy Robinson and my mum was convinced that I was going to be, you know, abducted as soon as I walked out the door. But I didn't even get one comment about that. Because in my mind, I make satire. I don't make mean comedy, right? Mm. You know, it's never, hey... Let's, let, 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 me, let me take this guy or this, this person and, and, and bully them. It's never that. So when I did the cookery videos and I'm like, I'm not really growing, I was like, cool, I'll try and do another character. And I tried to do another character. And it's through that metamorphosis that I kept growing. And then I realised, oh, people like it when I satirise topical things, you know? And then that, once I knew that was the formula, I just batted it for the next however many years. It was in 2020, during the COVID pandemic, that things really started taking off for you. You gained hundreds of thousands of followers with sketches like Staying In by Craig COVID and reports by newsreader alter ego Barty Crease and impressively quick turnaround material on whatever story was big that week. How do you keep yourself fed when you're working so flat out? When I'm really busy... I tend to sort of flip between omelettes. I mean, shout out, you know. You've got to know your roots. 30 eggs. <laughs> you don't just move on from that. <laughs> <clears throat> so I've got my omelettes on the go, because that's just so easy, isn't it? 
boom, crack, whisk, spinach, omelette, done. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm already thinking about Craig Covid's chorus. Do you know what I mean? So that's just mindless. Or I buy uh, these. So the only shop near me is M&S, right? Because before everyone starts coming for me and saying, look at this guy, he's changed, you know. I remember when he was eating 39p sausages from Morrison's. <laughs> <laughs> I eat these Watsit things from M&S, but they're like cheese Watsits. So, yeah, th- those are just like the height of culinary perfection for me. So is this the M&S brand of Watsit? Yeah. Who know? God knows what they call them. Probably like cheese temples or something. Or just something really bourgeois. But um, yeah, don't tell Scarlett Moffat temples. about those because that would. I feel like we'd break her heart if she knew that there was something out there better than. They're a called cheesy puffs. Cheesy puffs. Yeah. Well, they're delicious. Yeah. Well, uh, can I ask you a question very quickly? Yes. On the podcast, you have a picture that pops up when you're listening mm-hmm. and it's you inside a bath of food. Yeah, it is. Did that happen, really? It really happened. What was that like? It was uh, greasy. Was it, a ha- was it a real smile or was it like a, <laughs> this is like an I'm a celeb challenge? It was a real smile at the beginning, but I was in the bath for about a few hours and it was, it was quite <laughs> tense by... Like that. Was it chips it in the a, bath, wasn't it? Was it was proper, proper chips. They were warm. They were delicious. I started to eat them in the end because mm. once and once he started, they were actually... But yeah, yeah, it was me. What we thought was, we'll do something that people can't scroll past without looking mm. at. And, and it worked. And it worked. So in the last 12 months, the creator of Black Mirror, Charlie Brooker, mm-hmm. hired you to be a writer on his one-off Netflix show, Death mm-hmm. to 2020, you're soon going to be a contestant on Celebrity MasterChef mm-hmm. as Johnny Oliver. And you've just been announced as a host of the new Channel 4 show, Complaints Welcome. Mm. Mm-hmm. It feels like you've spent a lot of your life trying on various identities to work out which feels right for you. Do you feel like you've found it now? Is this you? Yeah, this is me now. You know, I feel like um, I love creating. And I love, you know, the way I'm talking now in this weird mashup of all different accents is actually the product of, you know, having lived in Zimbabwe and then Derby, then Sheffield, Norwich, Birmingham. You know, I'm not hiding anything from anyone because I put out my first sketch and I was like, cool, this is as crazy and as as strange as I usually am. And people liked it. And then I was like, okay, cool. So whatever I do in this way as myself, there will always be someone who likes it. And that was enough for me to be like, well, I can be myself then because there was no backlash to me being me. So when I look at this year and all the things coming up, I just think to myself, you know, we got there in the end. And realistically, my old self, my younger self would probably be like, well, that's it then. You know, it's the end of the story now because, you know, everything turned out the way you wanted it to. But of course, what I'm now doing is just you know, upping the parameters of what I wanted to achieve and, you know, setting my sights even higher and building new goals, but there'll always be a piece of me that goes, you know, little Munya stood in front of the camcorder, would have been pretty happy right now, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Munya Chihuahua, thank you for comfort eating with me. Thank you very much, Grace. And um, <laughs> I cannot wait to finish off the rest of this mash and pineapple with you. Cheers. No, it's going in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Gabriella Jones. The series producer is Leia Green and the executive producer is Kathy Drysdale. Sound design is by Sami Elanani. 
If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. This is The Guardian. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.